We are in week four of our Peace and Purpose series. Um, I am so flipping excited to be among you guys today. I can't wait to share with you what God shared with me in hopes that it will just edify all of our souls. The ones who are to not, they will grow to love God the way that I love them, if not better, if not greater, because dude, the bomb he dropped in my spirit this week, I've been waiting all week. Like I wanted to get on live that day and just share with y'all. As a matter of fact, I, topped, I put it on Facebook. <laughs> I, put it, I wrote it on Facebook to let y'all know what God was talking to me about that day. Um, and so I'm super excited to be among you guys today to be able to share this word with you today um, in hopes that someone's soul may be just edified by the power of God in recognizing what he has done for us. And so um, to give a brief, a brief recap of where we are, all of us are looking for peace and purpose in this world. Um, and in order for us to understand how God gives that to us, we had to first understand what God is up to and what God is up to is his glory. That's what he wants more than anything else. His end game is his glory. He is not as concerned about people as people make him out to be as if his whole concern is just loving us like we are the apple of his eye. No, God is the apple of his own eye. He doesn't he doesn't care about us the way we sometimes think he does to the point where we make ourselves the center of the universe. He is the center of the universe and his greatest concern is for his glory, for his name to be known and renowned throughout the cosmos. And such, we are some glory thieves ever since Adam and Eve. You know, we've been trying to take and rob the glory of God and give ourselves glory. We've tried to make ourselves gods, make ourselves kings, make ourselves masters and commanders of the universe, even in so much as for some of us in the Christian faith to rip scriptures and rip God's word and twist it in such a way to make it about us and not about him. And in doing so, as our scriptures tell us today, we deserve the penalty of death for that. We deserve to, we deserve, you know, the, the even though hell was reserved for Satan and his demons, anyone who aligns themselves away from God and in, 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 in aligns ourselves to ourselves and to things and to other people and other religions, we deserve the death penalty, the spiritual death penalty for that. Um, we talked last week about the fact that, you know, our home is not a physical place yet. Our home is a spiritual position because our home is God. Our home is with God. Our home is where, wherever he is, there we are. And so if we are more concerned about trying to make our home here, this planet Earth that we live in and trying to live, and trying to live fat and trying to live pretty, then we are robbing ourselves of the true joy, the true peace and the true purpose that God has created for us. Um, because he is peace. He is purpose. And without him, we find ourselves wandering all over the place and every two to three years trying to find some new version of peace and purpose in order to satisfy the longings of an eternal soul that can only be filled with eternity. So today we want to uh, we want to start in start our um, our journey together in Romans chapter three. Um and we want to see, we want to um, start with verse 21 down to verse 26, where it says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, 
the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, got it right, yes, by his blood to be received by faith. That word is so hard for me to say. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So to understand the magnitude of what Christ has accomplished for us, we have to first understand how bad our sin is. In order to understand the magnitude of what God has done for us, we have to first understand the magnitude of our sins. We have to remember that sin isn't just talking about bad deeds. You just come on. Yeah, you're fine. Sin is not just talking about bad deeds. It's talking about a position, a spiritual position in which you are separated from God, separated from God by virtue of Adam and Eve's rebellion and our willing participation in it. We are separated from God. We are born separated from God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We don't, we cannot get a hundred with the glory of God. When we, when we're first, you know, growing up as little kids, you know, we got our little, um, our niece in here now, you know, she's in that age where she's rebelling all over the place. And we're having to know this way, no, this way, no, this way. And every time she feels like we're giving, doing something she don't want to do, she's like, no, no, whining. <laughs> like it, it, every time we try to steer her in the right direction, sometimes she follows us. Sometimes she doesn't. That is indicative of every human being on the planet. Sometimes we want to do good. Sometimes we don't. But it's always in virtue of selfishness and pride. How is this going to benefit me? However it benefits me, that's what I'm going to do. And we're like that since we are born, since we are conceived. We are born into that, which means all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because sometimes even our good deeds can be done with bad motives. So we got to be mindful that none of us are good enough. None of us are worthy of getting into the kingdom. None of us on our own merit, by our own might, by our own strength, by our own power, by our own ability, capability, good deeds, good activities, good name, good reputation. None of those things can get us into the kingdom. None of us can give us a good, rightful standing with God. So as much as people want to say, well, you know, I'm a good person and I do good things. Yeah, those are all well and good. But if you don't have but those but the good things that you do are never going to be enough to satisfy an eternal God. Your good deeds, your good works, your good personhood, you can even and I, I tell some of my friends this all the time. You can even sound like Jesus. Walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, do things the way that he did, have compassion for people like he did. But all of the things that you do, even sounding like Jesus, is not good enough to get you in the kingdom. None of it. It's not going to get you into the kingdom. And so 
when we so when we think about the fact that we are utterly lost by virtue of trying to rob God, rob God of his glory and trying to do things the way that we want to do them, we find ourselves in a position where we are utterly and totally lost. We are out of spiritual position with God. We are separated from God. Now, this is important because in order to, again, understand the magnitude of what God has done for us, we have to understand how bad, how bad of shape we're in. We are utterly lost and we cannot secure our own salvation, our peace or our purpose on our own. Enter Jesus. The righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. And what he means by that, the law, he means that we can't do the law enough to satisfy God. So, again, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we love using that quote to talk about how imperfect we are. Well, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Some people will use that and be like, no, no one's perfect. Other people be like, and that's why you're doomed to hell. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but the sentence doesn't end there. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So what did Christ do? Because we know he died on the cross. We celebrate every Easter. He died on the cross. People wear crosses around their neck to signify he died on the cross. You know, people sometimes get mad about that. You shouldn't put a cross around your neck because that's worshiping the thing. It's like, no, dude, it's a reminder. Stop that. But we, we all know he died on the cross. Even sinners know he died on the cross. You know, historians know he died on the cross. But what did dying on the cross do? What did getting up on that tree, having nails put in his hand, you know, stayed there all, you know, stayed in the grave all Friday, Friday night, Saturday, Saturday night, early Sunday morning, rose from the dead, all power. What did all that do? Because we celebrate it, right? But do we really understand what he did when he died on the cross? When he lived, when he lived for us, died for us, rose for us, what did that do? So Jesus, both author and the finisher, just and justifier, savior and Lord, acts as the bridge on our behalf between God and us. Jesus acts as the bridge between God and us. Remember, Romans 6 and 23 says this. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in order for us to understand what happened when it talks in, in, um, in chapter 3 um, and says um, in verse 25, God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This is to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. What happened there? The very, verse, the very next verse says it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what Jesus accomplished 
was was at least fourfold. That's what we're going to talk about today. There might be a whole host of other things. We ain't got time to unpack that. Otherwise, this whole sermon will take three hours, and then my wife will be looking at me dumb because she'll be like, I'm going to go cook. You can eat this food if you want to. <laughs> so there's four things that Christ did, right? The first thing, he lived the life we could never live. In Romans chapter 5, verse 19, we find these words here. For as by the one man's disobedience, talking about Adam, the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So Jesus lived a perfect life. What does that mean? In everything that Jesus did, he did it with the intent and act of glorifying God. We, as, as human beings, will, have, will never be 100%. We've already messed that up. Again, this is little children. We already messed that up. We will never live a perfect life, a perfect life that glorifies God. Jesus himself said, and I don't know where it is in the scripture, um, but he said to himself, I didn't come of my own, but the, by the father who sent me. It's not my will that I'm doing, but it's the will of the one who sent me. So in everything that Jesus did from, from the time that he was conceived to the time that he rose and he ascended into heaven and even further beyond that, he was always doing the will of the father. In Philippians chapter, um, in Philippians chapter two, that's what I'm glad I marked this stuff. We're doing some flipping. In Philippians chapter two, it says these words here, have this mind among you in verse five, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or something to be manipulated or something to be like lofty about, like, ooh, look, I'm Jesus Christ. I can do what I want to do. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life in that he never went against God's glory or God's purpose. He always walked in lockstep with God and accomplished everything that God commanded him to accomplish, even though he's equal with God. Even though he could do just the, he could do whatever he wanted to do. But in his ability, his free will to do whatever he wanted to do, he chose to do the will of God. And that's what makes him, that gave him the ability to live the, per the life, the perfect life that we could never live. Second Corinthians chapter five says, um, in verse 20 and 21 say this, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, which means the second thing that Christ did for us, he died the spiritual death that we deserved. He died the spiritual death that we deserved. Again, going back to Romans chapter, um, chapter six, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. Now, when we think about death, 
When we think about dying, all we think about is this physical body going away. It's all we think about. When we think about Christ dying on the cross, all we think about is his physical body being gone. That's all, that's all, you know, his, his soul being gone from his body. That's all we think about. We don't think about the ramifications that come with dying on the cross. What we, what we, have, to, what we have to remember is that the, the physical body is going to pass away. All of us have to die. In order to get to, in order to get to, um, to get to, um, to get to get to Jesus, but we don't re we don't recognize if you die without Him here, you are going to be separated from Him there. The spiritual death that is coming for those who do not believe in God is a far worse death than a physical death, and that is the death that Christ died. You gotta understand. Understand this. Physical death is one thing, but spiritual death is a separation from God that we cannot come back from. We cannot come back from. Dog, and I thought I wrote. Oh, I did. Okay. Luke chapter 16, verses 20, verse 26 starts. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples and with whoever's listening to him at the time. I don't know if it's the Pharisees, Sadducees, you know, there's always somebody around there somewhere who's listening to Jesus trying to find a way to trap this man. Um, so he's having a conversation um, with these with these boys and he's telling me in, in the midst of it, he tells them a parable about um, the, the rich man and Lazarus. And in this conversation, he gives us a picture of what heaven and hell are going to look like. And I never thought about it like this before until doing this sermon today that it, 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 really, it really describes the separation we have from God in the life to come if we don't believe in him. Um, verse 26. Well, I mean, let me start for 25. Abraham said, Abraham, okay, so let me describe it. Abraham has Lazarus. Um, okay, let me just back all the way up. Rich man and Lazarus. Jesus says there was a rich man, there was Lazarus. Lazarus um, was a poor man. He was begging for food. The rich man said, no, you can't have none of my food. And, um, and was basically just living his life, doing his thing. They both die. Lazarus goes to heaven. The rich man goes to hell. Lazarus is in the, in the bosom of Abraham. And in that moment, um, he asked La the rich man asked Lazarus, "Can I have some water? It's hot down here." Yeah. And in that moment, here it is, verse twenty-five. Abraham said, "Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, this is the part um, that I'm focusing on between us." In you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So he's saying we would have such a great compassion for people in hell that if we could, we'd build a bridge. But the chasm is so great that we can't go. And they can't come. Jesus died the spiritual death that sent him where the rich man went. And there is a great chasm between where he went and where he should have been. He went 
and descended into hell, there should be no coming back from that. So to, to, to realize step three, he conquered the power of sin, death, hell, and the grave. He didn't just rise back from the dead. He rose back from a place of no return. Because if you go there, you're not coming back. There is no coming back from that. You got one shot in this life, for the most part, to decide whether or not you're for him or against him. If he gives you the opportunity and gives you the invitation, you only got one, you only got one shot in this life. You don't get a do-over after you die. And if you're there, you're not coming back from that. There is no coming back from hell. Once you're there, it's done. It's finished. It's over. It's fixed. There's no coming back from that. Jesus died the death that we all deserve because that's where we deserve to go because we robbed God of his glory. We have been his glory thieves. We've taken his glory and we've tried to magnify ourselves, put ourselves on the throne, make ourselves large and in charge. We've, we've, we've done things that we should have done. Even David and all his God, after the man after God's own heart, still made terrible mistakes in his own lifetime that were word that made him worthy of a spiritual death. And, and so again, Christ decided I'm going to go down there to the point of no return in so much that I'm paying for the sins of the world. How many people are in this world right now? Seven billion. How many people have been before us? Probably seven billion more. How many are coming after us? Probably a whole nother seven billion. So that's a lot of sin. And he went and descended into hell, living the life we could never live. And earn his, he earned it. He is not going to earn it. God earned, Christ earned his right to be in the kingdom. We know you're already in it. How ironic, right? Justin Justifier. He earned his right to live in heaven, but he descended to hell. The place of no return chose that and then conquered it. He went down and kicked some stuff, kissed some butt down there. And when he did that, he is now the conqueror of hell and the ruler of heaven. And in exchange, the fourth, the fourth thing, he exchanged his rightful standing to us. If we repent and believe. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that. And that's why it's so, again, the magnitude of what he's done for us is so large. Because, again, he died the death that we deserved. It earned the right standing that he already had, but he earned it anyway. And then said, if you repent and believe in me, I will give you my right standing in exchange for what you deserve. I will be the bridge because the wages of sin is death. I will give you, I will build this bridge and cross you over into the place you don't deserve to be. Every last one of us deserves to be descending into hell. 
our standing, our position, our separation from God, we deserve to be in that pit. But Christ built the bridge, built the bridge on the cross. He became the bridge on the cross so that if we believe in him, we can cross over. We are like the, the Israelite nation who, when, when God parted the Red Sea, walked on dry land to get to the other side. When, when, when Pharaoh and his chariots are coming down, about to rain down hell and, and death upon them, he built the bridge to get them over. That is the same thing Christ has done for us. He's crossed us over the bridge. If we repent and believe in him, we walk the bridge and we're walking the bridge on dry ground. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to show him an A plus. He exchanges our F minus and gives us an A plus. His A plus, no less. He took the test for us and said, if you repent and believe in me, I'll give you the A and I'll cross you over. That is what Christ has done for us. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. There's nothing we can give him in exchange for it. And yet, because of Christ's love for God's glory and God's people, he did what was commanded of him by God. And in doing so, has exchanged his right standing with us. So that we, if we repent and believe, can walk over the bridge from hell to heaven can walk over the bridge between <coughs> condemnation and justification <coughs> so that when he says in John chapter three, verse 16, those words ring truer than they ever could have, because now we understand what it is. The man's actually trying to say to us, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, we love 16, but we don't talk about 17, 17, the better part. Cause he, he didn't come in this world to condemn it, but he came to save it. He came to say, you can't save yourself. This, that's the whole problem that we talked about last week. We're sitting around looking for saviors, trying to save our souls, trying to save our hearts, trying to save our minds, trying to fill this emptiness within ourselves, and we can't find it anywhere. Christ has come and said, I got you. If you repent and believe, if you believe in me, I will give you what your soul has been missing. If you believe in me, I will give you the peace that you've been looking for. If you believe in me, I will give you the purpose you've been looking for. If you believe in me, I'll give you everything you've been wanting in your entire life. But you have to repent and believe in me. I don't need your tithing. I don't need your sacrificing. I don't need your good deeds. I don't need your good works. I don't need your works in a church. I don't need your works in a ministry. I don't need your good deeds in the community. I don't need, you know, the good things you do with your kids or with your parents. I don't need your A pluses. I don't need your, <clears throat> um, your, 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 your prayer. I don't need anything that you think 
I want to bring salvation to you. I don't need any of that. I just need you to believe in me. And even your belief, as Paul said it, is a gift from God. Because do you know how many people know this Bible better than me? Genesis through Revelation, and yet they don't believe. So even the belief, the opportunity to believe, Samaritan woman comes up to the well. Jesus is talking, is at the well, and she comes up to the well. How you know how fitting that God chooses this moment in this place and time to speak a word into this woman's life, right? That's how God does for us. He just happens to be at the right place at the right time in the right situation to speak a word into our lives that will spark up salvation and spark up um, justification in our hearts. You got a lot of people who are going to hear this word today and their hearts are going to be hardened even more. You got a lot of people who are going to hear this word. They're going to be like, I, don't, I still don't believe, even though even though, even though even though you know exactly what you're talking about and you can go word for word, I still don't believe. That's why salvation is a gift. You cannot earn your way into the kingdom. There's no amount of good works, no amount of good deeds that you can do. There's no amount of right standing you can try to put in, put, put within yourself. Even the man, um, the, the rich young ruler who came to Christ and said, hey, man, listen, what I got to do to be saved? Oh, just follow, just follow the commands. Oh, I did all that. What's next? Give everything you got to the poor. Um, and come follow me and I'll give you riches in heaven and you walk away sad. Why? Because he thought that just getting into the kingdom was doing a list. The list will not get you in. But Christ has secured our liberty, our peace, our freedom, our joy, our hope, our purpose, our belonging. If we repent and believe in him. And that's why, again, it is so imperative that we re that we recognize the magnitude of robbing God of his glory. The wages of sin is death. Not this body, not this body. His body is nothing compared to our souls. He's talking about a spiritual death that no man. No created being can come back from. But Christ came back from that place and built the bridge by way of by way of salvation, repentance and belief that if we believe in him, he's going to escort us over. Walking alongside us every step of the way by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this isn't a you're going to walk. You know, and if you mess up, you're going to go backward. No, you're all the way over on the other side, walking with God on the other side, talking with God on the other side. And so let this bridge not be one where you, okay, you're on day one on the bridge. No, once you're saved, you have crossed over the bridge. That's why I love him so much. Yeah. Because that is your God, the God who says, the wages of sin is death also says the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The same God who said that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God is the one is the same one who says and are justified by faith. 
God is not just the God of wrath. He is the God of mercy and grace and love as well. As we said before, love shows up in both ways, mercy and wrath at the same time, two sides of the same coin. So make no mistake, God is a terrible God, as in terrifying, but he is also a loving God, a merciful God, a just God, in so much that he realized these jokers can't do this. These jokers ain't going to make it into the kingdom alone. I've got to do. I've got to do. Yes. But don't be mistaken. It's not like he looked out in the world and said, oh, Lord, here go these pitiful humans. This was orchestrated from the dawn of existence. This has always been God's plan to show his love for us that in so much that while we were yet sinners. Yes. Not once we got it together, once we fixed everything, this is Romans chapter five, once we got everything right, once we fixed everything together, no, he said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet going through our mess. Romans chapter five, and with this, we're going to get out of here. First, first, start with verse six. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. So I challenge all of us today. If you have wondered what, what actually did Christ do? For us. Ask yourself the question. How deserving are you of heaven? And why are you not deserving of it? And when you start to look back over the course of your life, I'm sure you can think of a million different reasons why you don't deserve to go to heaven. And once you've gone through your laundry list of your sins and your shortcomings and your faults and your failings and the ways you messed up time and time again, remind yourself, Christ entered the space that you deserve so that he can get you out. Because yes, we all deserve to die. But Christ said, though you deserve it, I'm going to do it for you. So that if you believe in me, you will never have to. Amen.